Yo, podcast pals, it is 2018. We're going to officially declare it the year of more, which is nice because the all-new BMW X3 was engineered for those who share the desire of more. With the level of performance you have come to expect from a BMW, like the iDrive 6.0 with an intuitive touchscreen, safety features like active blind spot detection, very helpful for my wife, and lane keeping assistant, as well as next generation X Drive intelligent all wheel drive, the all new BMW X3 was built to handle whatever road, terrain, or adventure is, a, is ahead, no matter what or who may be driving. Come in and test drive the all-new BMW X3 at your local BMW center today. BMW only makes one thing, my podcast pals. That is the ultimate driving machine. My taste buds, my culinary comrades, it's 2018. Happy New Year. Our first show of the year. We're back. House of Cars. Here for a whole nother hungry year. This is, as you know, my friends, the food podcast for the hungry people by the hungry people. I am your hungry host, Joe House. We are running this show a little late, still getting over the post-holidays hangover. It may last a while. In that vein, we have a very helpful guest who is coming on today to talk about some TV viewing. Andy Greenwald, the Ringer's own Andy Greenwald. Andy was on in the summer, and we sort of you know, talked about the upcoming fall TV food season. We talked about the Top Chef franchise. We are now in the TV viewing season. It is freezing cold in most of these United States of America. So we thought it might be helpful to you, my hungry homebound homies, to give you some uh, television to consume along with the beef stew and the Guinness. Of course, we also have food news with a new podcast superstar, The Bachelor Party, host of The Bachelor Party, Juliet Littman is on, and we always get international with the food news. We do that here on the very first episode of 2018. Let's get in that belly first, though, with Andy Greenwald. Oh, my taste buds, my hungry homies, my culinary comrades. Here we are. It's 2018 Happy New Year to all of you. We are here at the House of Carbs, officially in what I would call post-holiday hangover mode. And four-fifths of this great nation of ours is in some kind of Arctic chill. There was a cyclone bomb. The bomb cyclone hit the entire eastern seaboard of these great United States uh, overnight last night into today. No better time than to do a food podcast. We are uh, joined today by our old friend, the Ringer's own resident TV critic, co-host of the Watch podcast, 
Andy Greenwald, how are you, my friend? Oh, I'm so excited to be here. I was just saying to you before we got started, I've never experienced pod envy like I did when I heard you and Chris Ryan just tooling through the mean streets of my hometown, Philadelphia. So to be back on the show, even at a distance, is a, is a privilege and an honor. Well, 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 great news, Andy. We had such a good time in Philadelphia, Chris and I. Um, I'm very eager to get back. We barely scratched the surface of, of the great eating. I was so impressed by what a, a, a fully developed, comprehensive food town Philadelphia is. Yes. Yes. And all so, of this, I'm sure you heard this from Chris, this is all post us being there. So it's, an, it's a discovery for us as well. Yeah, we Chris and I talked about Philly's food moment mm-hmm. seems to be having. Mm-hmm. But I'm psyched to get back. I I didn't have a cheesesteak on that tour and I didn't have any Italian food on the tour. So you're you're welcome. As soon as you can get yourself from the left coast back here to the right. Let's, I, let's get in there and do it. I'm doing it as long as you don't mind me slipping a, a a quick roast pork Italian off off mic since I know you already covered that. Oh no, I let's let's repeat that. Let's just <laughs> let's make run sure that, that it's up to standard. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I got to run that back. Quality let's check. Make, that's it. So look, you are my friend, the first guest of House of Carbs here in 2018. Honored. Happy New Year's. Happy New Year. Happy New Year's. I thought, I'm just going to make one plug as you begin your new year of the show. I was hoping I was here for the inaugural segment of Chateau du Carbs, the wine (laughs) podcast that I I think the people, I don't know if the people want, but I know I want to do with you. So so let's just plant that seed. Well, look, 2018, the nice thing about House of Carbs is... Um, it's pretty much wherever the hungry palates take us, and, <laughs> right. and it could be the case. We might have some thirsty friends out there. We haven't had any beer together. We right. haven't had any wine together. Nope. Juliet introduced her drink, the Juliet. The Juliet, a classic. A cl- an instant classic. <laughs> um, but that's all we've done in terms of spirits. I mean, I think the hungry people tend to be thirsty at the same time, so let's do that in 2018. I can't wait. But but we're here. We're here so, for actually, it's hangover time. People don't want to drink right now, but they are snowed in. They want to watch TV. Yeah, this is it. This is, if, if nothing else, the House of Carbs is all about that service <laughs> to the hungry homies. And, and here we are. We want to be of service to the hungry homebound uh, nice uh, homies. Nice job. Well done. Well, I mean, you look, you know, everybody on my side of the world is stuck inside. We're, mm. we're, we're dying. We're eating huge meals because it's the only way to warm <laughs> yourself. You need that giant warm belly. Just bear style. And we're sitting... We're sitting down in front of, believe me, where it's hibernation time. If it, the, the high tomorrow here in Washington, D.C. is anticipated to be 19 degrees <laughs> not okay. with a wind chill steadily below zero throughout the, the entire course of the day. Don't tell me anything about California, Andrew Greenwald. I can't handle it. I won't, I won't say a word. I won't say a word. I, I, I'm going to adjust the glare on my sunglasses because it's a little, you know, it's, it's over 70 <laughs> and it's in my eyes a little bit, but I'm going to push through. Well, look, we're in the perfect moment for some binge TV viewing. If I might be so corny as to throw a pun, some binge mode is kind of the mode that we might be in. Fair enough. Yeah. So uh, we're going to talk. You were very kind in August to come on, and we we did uh, kind of an overview Mm -hmm. of food television in in general. Um, And we just sort of got your reaction to the sort of TV moment and, you know, shows that you were uh, consuming. Mm -hmm. I think today's show, we're going to be a little more specific in terms of what we have in front of us a new season of Top Chef. We're four episodes in, which is wonderful. But I also asked you to think about what other shows are showing up in your rotation 
uh, food-oriented, food-based, food-related shows in your rotation. And I'm eager to share with you a couple that I've been enjoying. Mm -hmm. And uh, let's just feed that to our hungry homies who might be stuck at home with some delicious beef stew and maybe a Guinness. That sounds nice to me, although I I, I probably sweat because, again, it's very warm here and sunny. I don't know if I mentioned that. Um, sure. <laughs> he was so angry about that. He quit the podcast <laughs> in mid-cough. Um, that was it. Yeah, I, I, I'm particularly eager to, to, to slice into this new season of Top Chef because it's pretty remarkable. This is the 15th season of this show, and it is still reliable. It is still of high quality, and they, they are still finding ways to make this entertaining. And, you know, back in August, we talked about the reasons why the show is so consistent, because it is actually attentive to the craft of cooking, because it is generally respective of its uh, chef testants and its guests, and because, it, you know, it, it doesn't traffic in gimmicks. Ultimately, it is about excellence and celebrating excellence and rewarding it by moving forward, even though, the obviously, the challenges can be quite arbitrary. And this season, I thought coming into it, I was a little bit, skeptical because the one thing we learned for sure last year in the um the uh uh where was it charleston season was Mm -hmm. that the show is at its best when it brings people back reason being not everyone is top chef quality and though part of a reality show of course is to have people there to be to be chum to be plankton in the beginning to get just mowed through so the real stars can emerge at a certain point you want to spend time on top chef with people who are uh, people who are talented. You want to be with the stars. You don't want to be with the chum. And last year they brought, you know, it was it was basically newbies versus vets, and the vets just mowed down the newbies. This year appeared to be almost entirely newbies, and I was worried about them having enough people in the pipeline, young talent, to emerge on the show. So far it's been fine, but the interesting thing about this season, and as we'll get into it, we're not going to spoil anything. We, we're four episodes deep. We're not going to name names, where I think we're going to talk generally, is that they have this shadow competition, Last Chance Kitchen, where, which is the way this year they are slowly bringing some old blood back in. So broad strokes, what, are you enjoying this season? I need to know. You're the host here, and I'm asking you the question. Well, I'm going to begin with a confession, and, and here it is. I took a couple seasons off oh, of Top Chef. Okay. I just – my Thursday nights at 10 o'clock were tending to get – and then just as full disclosure – Tending to be populated over the last couple of years with West Coast basketball. Fair. Because TNT, you know, that's the TNT night. And the Golden State Warriors were, were, were appearing on there. And I just have this love affair with uh, Chef Steph Curry. Uh, speaking, oh, that's, he might be a good one. He and his wife. His wife, that's for the sure. Whole thing there. Yeah. Uh, good guest for House of Carbs. But, um, I've been pretty devoted to West Coast basketball and, and have taken off of, of Top Chef. Let me give you a couple reactions, um, having reacquainted uh, myself with, with, with this beautiful franchise. In the first place, I have been really impressed by the resume of the contestants. Yes. It, you know, even um, the, the woman Carrie Baird, who mm-hmm. uh, was, was kind of the, the local, you know, every mm-hmm. year they give a nod to a local. Yeah. Um, she appeared to be in the early episodes to me to be in over her head, but she has acquitted herself quite beautifully mm-hmm. 
since the original unsteadiness. And some of that, part of why I enjoy the show so much, and, and obviously they're attuned to this, she she had her own self-doubts about her mm-hmm. um, inclusion with among this group of highly credentialed, many, many chefs in this group with already national prominence, yes. already national acclaim. Um, and I like very much that sort of mix. And, and Carrie's fit in very well and had some success so far. Again, we're not going to tell any tales out of school, but um, I just I, I was kind of blown away by the the sort of uh, global resume mm-hmm. of this of this uh, accomplished group. Like these are the original shows were people who may not yet have you know in, in the fifteen years ago. Um, done any kind of cooking in their own establishments. Mm-hmm. They weren't, you know, uh, prop, it, properly cre- it was, credentialed it, 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 to a lot of own. A lot of sous chefs who could afford to leave their jobs, they were being sponsored by the big name chefs to, to, to leave their jobs knowing they could come back, maybe make a name for themselves or the restaurant group. But basically they did not themselves have a big profile. That That's exactly right. Now I'm very happy that you um, identified to the Hungry Homies this last chance kitchen vehicle right. that the Top Chef folks have very cleverly pulled together because I have to tell you, I still don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> I still, so, I, I didn't understand it in the first place and I'm still, I've watched them. Yes. I, I still don't get it. Well, so it's it's an interesting thing. Basically, a couple of seasons ago, they introduced this as a chance to give people um, a second chance to get back on the on the on the competition, which is good because you know, as anyone who watches reality TV knows, sometimes the eliminations can be quite random. If they really do judge it just on the challenge of the day, then if you have everyone on Top Chef every season even the best have a bad day, they could be sent home for it potentially unfairly. It was also an opportunity for Bravo and the you know the Comcast behind them to sort of boost traffic to their websites and web properties and get advertising that way. So it is a web-only companion show. And it, the first season that it existed a couple years back, Kristen Kish was eliminated and then cleaved through Last Chance Kitchen like the proverbial hot knife through butter, making it yeah. all the way back to the finale and then winning outright. And in a beautiful piece of uh, symmetry, a few years later, Brooke Williamson, who Kristen defeated in her season, made it, this is last year's season, made it almost to the very end, lost because she had one of those trademark bad days, went to Last Chance Kitchen, cooked her way back, and won the whole thing. So there was some symmetry to it. It already had some resonance in the larger competition. What they've done this year is made it even more crucial because they began Last Chance Kitchen with uh, on week one, when there were no eliminated contestants, chef testants, they began it with four returning veterans. And those were Kwame from your city of DC, who kind of crashed yeah. and burned with a big restaurant a few years ago or a year or so ago. Yeah, uh, within the last year, but already has yes. uh, risen from the ashes with a beautiful new restaurant that I'm e- aching to get down to. And it seems like a better fit for him. The other one seems like a, maybe was a little too ambitious for a younger chef, but I don't, I don't yeah, know. I never yeah. ate there. Um, well, no, he 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 tried for this this thing, and not to go too deep on on Kwame, he treated, he went for this idea, this concept uh, restaurant of like you pay five hundred bucks and then have this experience right. of sort of walking around, and you can be in the kitchen, and you can be get become one with the ingredients, and but the price point was too high, yeah. without having already established also, kind of the quality of the food. Also, there. I don't want to walk around. I like if I wanted to walk around, <laughs> well, that, I would go to a food I think court. That you was, know? I think that turned out to be kind of yeah. a, a downfall as well. Um, also in there is Marcel, who is an early villain, season two. Not deserving villain. He's kind of a cornball, but he was he was much hated in his his season. Uh, Marcel, Le- who 
I, I gave I'm, I'm give you a very quick uh, yeah. aside. I gave him some love on the most recent, the the pre New Year, mm-hmm. uh, the last House of Carbs of 2017, an outstanding chat with our good pal Richard Blaze. Speaking of Top Chef, love Richard Blaze. And the very we did an AMA with with Richard Blaze. He was very generous with his time. We um, the last question of the conversation was best hair in the food biz, <laughs> and he Marcel. rattled off some some names, and he didn't really give himself credit. Um, but he left out Marcel. I felt compelled to include Marcel. Marcel still has outstanding hair. Richard, by the way, the goat. He is the goat of Top the, Chef. I know. He is the goat. He, That's he, right. It's, it's, it's unquestioned because when we're talking about winning Top Chef, there are so many different skill sets involved and not all of them are chiffonade. You know, you have to be creative. Yeah. You have to be adaptable. You have to, you, have, you have to be in the moment. You have, to, you have to sell it. He is that unique. He's the unique combination of all of it. I mean, there have been others who have been truly great. I mean, you could, you could point to maybe Michael Voltaggio or Paul Key as being like the best technical cooks ever to win it, but blazes the goat. Um, Leanne Wong from, I believe, season one, back in Last Chance Kitchen, three months pregnant. Incredible achievement. Shouts to her. And uh, and the queen of Philly and the queen of my heart, Jennifer Carroll, who keeps coming back for more punishment, even though it kills me. I love her. Uh, so that was, la- that was the beginning of Last Chance Kitchen. And then as people were eliminated this year in the Denver season, they would filter down, they would compete and move forward. And then this week, we won't name names, but this week's episode of Last Chance Kitchen, a two-parter with a shock, the person who won a two-part competition on Last Chance Kitchen would immediately be returned to the competition. So there was, it wasn't just in the finale. You would go back right now, and that, that person will be revealed on tonight's episode. We're recording this on Thursday. So all of a sudden, it's even more crucial to the show and uh, in, 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 a, in a very exciting way. And I, in Kristen's season, when I was writing about it for Grantland, I talked about how it was like the myth of Orpheus to me. Like, she disappeared to the underworld, and then she came back, the underworld being internet streaming video, if you, if you follow my <laughs> elaborate Greek metaphor. I uh, love it. And uh, it, it's kind of exciting to see them dip down to the underworld and then suddenly reemerge, you know, energized. And I do think there's precedent that the people who have just done this, these hardcore 10-minute Tom has to like it cooking competitions, that is an incredible um, revving up of your Top Chef motor to get you back in yeah, the competition. So it gives you a leg up, I think, going forward. Two aspects of what you just described. First of all, Tom has to like it. He's the only judge of this thing. I love that about it's, it. it. It's a bite of food going into his mouth. Yep. And this is it's 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 the quickest of quick fires. Like these little vignettes are are barely fifteen minutes, mm-hmm. right? Eight minutes, ten minutes, twelve minutes max um, has been my experience. I think. Yeah, that, uh, no, that's right. It goes by quickly. And, I, I mean, and it's just it's just cooking. So I think if you like that part of the show, and you more than you like the Whole Foods trips or the 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 scenes in the house or whatever the frippery. Last Chance Kitchen is really worth watching for that reason alone. But I really admire the way they've integrated it and changed it up and kept it fresh. And, you know, honestly, the people involved in the show have to sell it. And Tom is out there tasting these dishes, and he still seems like he's having fun. Padma seems like she's having a blast. I, I'm not going to credit that in any way to the things that are legal in Colorado. I have no way of knowing that. Um, <laughs> but but, but they, they do seem to be still enjoying it, and I think that goes a long way. Yeah, well, that's that's what sells it, right? It's it's those four, and that was one of the other observations I wanted to make. Having been away from the franchise for a couple years, coming back and catching these folks, I, I you know they they're still very close to me. I, they didn't go very far away. What has um, been impressive to me? It's very slick, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't I don't um, mean that in a pejorative way. I don't find it too slick. But by now, everybody is so comfortable in their own skin, and this is on mm-hmm. the, at the sort of host and judge level. Yes, that there is uh, 
the, the 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 cadence and the vocabulary are so impressive. It's like I I this is what I aspire to as the host of House of Carbs. <laughs> I, I aspire to the the you, beautiful way that they describe did, their wonderful food experiences. Did, did you notice though this new way of describing things that that leaked in about two or three seasons ago and is prevalent this season as well, where Tom and the other judges have started saying, you know, I like the dish. It ate a little sweet. You know, blah blah blah. Like it. <laughs> Ate a little sweet. It ate, it it ate, ate a, little a little chewy. It ate a little. I mean, did it taste that way? But I feel like we're, we're limited. You know, we 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 can't be poets with with food because there are only a certain number of adjectives and verbs. So maybe I appreciate that, but it's that's just one little one little nit to pick. They well, they look. I'm giving them the leash. They're allowed to invent it. It's <laughs> it a go. lot of shows and a lot of seasons. It's, it's so many shows and seasons. It's really wild. And and I say this as all someone right. who has seen every hour of all of them. <laughs> um, so we're not naming names in terms of folks mm-hmm. that have been bumped, but I'm interested in hearing if if there's any horses, if you if there's anybody that's caught your eye so far as a challenger. You know, let's let's name like our top four, right? Um, in terms of of where we are at the moment, because there's 15 contestants. So if we name four, that sure. doesn't reveal too much. Let me let me in fact back up just for one second and say, oh, please. What's interesting about this year? You know, I, I I almost hope a veteran gets pushed back into the competition tonight from Last Chance Kitchen because there's been a lot of figuring it out early in the early going, which we were spared last year when there were more veterans. And I, I'm beginning to wonder if it's the altitude of this season because oh, people are making some really bad decisions. Um, so far, not I agree with hugely this. fatal decisions, but decisions that in past seasons of Top Chef, especially the last five, 10 years where you had past seasons of Top Chef to refer to. So you know they're going to get you for this. You know, there's always the person who's like, who had the time and didn't make their own bread. And then they always get dinged for it. There's always the person who chooses to make dessert when you don't have to. And those lessons have kind of been integrated. But this year there was a sandwich competition on a food truck. And the three chefs on on the truck all thought it was a brilliant idea to use the same soggy bread. And as soon as they make this decision, veteran Top Chef watchers around the country are saying, that's, that's a huge mistake. That's just a terrible, well, terrible was, decision. And it wasn't just that that they didn't make the bread. They had let it sit outside yes. in the sun so that it had, you know, sitting in those bags started to develop some moisture, which entirely compromises the predictability it, and reliability of mass-produced food. Exactly. It, it's these things where it's like, let's really, you take the beat and you think about it because so much of the show is about context. What tools are you going to be given? How, you know, how much time are you going to have? And you adjust accordingly. And there's some weirdly... I don't want to say rookie mistakes because they are technically rookies, but they are not rookies in the kitchen or in preparing food at volume, which has surprised me. And and before we even get to the candidates who are our favorites, there was one moment I wanted to flag that makes this season worth watching, even if you haven't. And it was um, last week. I think it was the third episode of the season. And the um, uh, uh, quickfire challenge was a sudden death quickfire. It was an elimination quickfire meaning the, the three people who have the worst dishes in the quick fire then have to do a last chance kitchen-esque cook-off in 10 minutes, and then one of them is sent home. So two people leave that episode. And do you remember what I'm talking about? The challenge was to make an omelet. I do. This is the er test for all chefs, right? The legendary French kitchen, the brigade system. You walk into these three-star chefs, and they just tell you to make an omelet. And they say it in, in French, so it sounds much more intimidating than me. And the person who can make a perfect omelet, the most simple dish, gets the job in the kitchen. And so you have these people that should know this and should have prepared for it, and they were lunatics. 
I mean, it was one of the most instructive 10 minutes in Top Chef history where you have these guys, like this guy Rogelio, who is incredibly talented and incredibly experienced and an executive chef, and he starts throwing like asparagus in the French omelet. And then you that have- That was the, yes, the, the, please, the, the, the woman from Alaska who drops cream into her omelet or borsan cheese at the last minute and it melts and she's literally- putting her hand into the pan as the egg runs through her fingers to serve to the judges. And it's like he just, and and other people, they were screaming, it's just eggs and herbs. It's just eggs. That was so interesting to me that they were so caught up in the competition or impressing that they completely failed something so critical. When you go on the site and look at some of the, you know, mini trailers that, um, the folks at, at Food and Wine have prepared with with the Top Chef franchise, you know, with you know one on one kind of uh, feedback um, items. Mm-hmm. One of the things that they they all attest to mm-hmm. is how it's a, it's a it's a, uh, essentially um, kind of a, a uh, what, what's the the chamber where you get in and you lose your your senses, you're depri- deprived oh, of your senses. It's like a deprivation the, chamber, yeah, the deprivation kind of experience, tent. right? Right, exactly. They, they, there is this element, and maybe it has to do with the altitude. I like that theory very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it has to do with um, legal marijuana. I, I doubt <laughs> that a lot of them are, 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 are under the influence during the show. But um, there is this, this element of what you and you just highlighted it, hit, hit on it quite effectively. They are literally losing their mind. Yes, everybody. Outside of those three people, when the omelet challenge was introduced, was saying, just go make just go make perfect eggs. Yeah. And every one of them went for other ingredients. Like we're gonna jazz it up this way or that way or the other way. We're gonna put cheese in it. We're gonna I mean, what are you what are you guys talking about? You know, this is and I lo- I love that as someone who likes you know, who likes cooking, who likes seeing the simplicity of cooking. And I, and, and I also trust the show to frame that correctly, right? That the show, the, 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 the tenor of Top Chef is saying they should know how to do this. And here's why. Um, uh, you, you were, we're on the same page. Okay, so who, who you got is, is obviously the next question. Uh, I have fallen in love with Brother Luck. Um, <laughs> I mean, what a name. I, but first of all, that guy is a winner at life. Yes, there, there was never a, a, any possibility after his parents named him. They oh they, t- they took a golden star and pasted it to his forehead <laughs> and said, "Go out into the world. You choose what you want to be, brother. But you will be a success." So I I, I find him to be his um, personality, his approach, his interactions with yes. the other contestants, his ethos, the ethos of brother luck. I find him to be the best brother luck possible. Yeah, and, <laughs> so. and also I am a big, big fan of in regular TV. I'm not a fan of 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 of, of schmaltz, but in cooking, I'm a big fan of schmaltz. So oh, it's my. appropriate that I'm a fan here on Top Chef. I love cook your heritage challenges. I love personal stories of the chefs because very often people in the restaurant industry come from, uh, they can come from other cultures. They can come from, from hardship. They can come from experiences that are diametrically opposed to mine or people that I, that I may know. And I love hearing that. And I love when they're able to both express it and then express it in their food. And his story about his relationship with his father, um, his story about, you know, asking a teacher who had basically written him off point blank, can I do this? Could I achieve? Right. Is really, right. It's really moving. And so he brings exactly. that empathy with the other with the other contestants. I agree. I think he's a dark horse because he did not distinguish himself in the beginning, but has started to come on. Uh, so who, who you got? Name one. 
Okay, I'm a, we'll do this. We'll, I, I'm a big fan of um, Fatima. I think she's, first of all, she's one of the few people representing representing New York, which I, even though I no longer physically do because I hate snow, I have to, I have to, I have to check. I really like her. I think she seems, um, she seems to have two of the things that I think are important to succeed on Top Chef. She has a very distinct culinary point of view. She grew up in Pakistan. She also just seems tough as hell. Like she's been in kitchens, you know, and, and she can grind it out. And you can tell from the way the other, like the, the more stereotypical chefs, those big bear guys, uh, yes. respect her and have made her a baby bear. Right. So I think that yep. she, she, she's one to watch for sure. So my, my, uh, additional favorite, and again, we're not revealing anything. My, my final f- favorite, just in terms of my experience of the first four mm-hmm. shows was Tyler is Tyler. Yeah. Um, I love the punk rock guys. I loved it. Uh, yeah. I think it's been kind of uh, established across these podcast waves <laughs> that I have that in. In fact, let me tell you this, Andy Greenwald. In in my research for 2018, I ran across something. Are you familiar with the band The Crow Mags? Yes, I am. Sure. So The Crow Mags are like a seminal hardcore band from the mid-80s, mid to late 80s, mm-hmm. uh, approaching the, the 90s. Like a, a genuine New York hardcore band. And... The uh, w- w- the lead of of the Crow Mags, John Joseph, um, has this incredible story about growing up in New York and and the the hard things that he's faced in his life. But he is a um, an avowed vegan now, hmm. and in fact is the author of a book entitled "Meat Is for Pussies," uh, and has appeared on the Munchies. Uh, so we're I'm, we're going to talk about Vice. Yes, we are uh, in a bit. But but the Vice food property Munchies. He's on there um, preparing smoothies and juices, and I could. I was six minutes. I just couldn't believe it. It was a breathtaking six minutes. So John Joseph has got to come on House of Carbs this year. What about Brooks Headley? Are you familiar with Brooks Headley? Brooks, I, 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 I go ahead. Brooks Headley was the uh, pastry chef at Del Posto, a New York four star restaurant. He then left to open Superiority Burger, which is a really exciting. Uh, Ve- uh, veggie burger shack, basically, where he makes his own patties that are actually good and interesting vegetable sides. Um, he was known in his pastries for incorporating vegetables in the desserts. He's also was the drummer in Universal Order of Armageddon, and right, and and, and he was in the group Young Pioneers and Men's Recovery Project. So there, there is a there is a an established line between between punk and the kitchen. And I think, you know, maybe on that those podcasts that you do with these guys or other people, you could talk about what a transition that is culturally and how maybe it's not as as circuitous as it may seem. It there is a there is a in, in intuitive link, right? The DIY yep. ethic, that 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 way of approaching the world where you are responsible for your own stuff. If you want to do something, go do it. Yeah, um, that very much informs, I think, how I think about the the food world. Yeah, um, at, at the moment, so I'm psyched. I I haven't done anything in terms of actually reaching out to anybody, but you're putting it <laughs> I, into I the really universe. Have him on. You're putting it out. That's it. We're just putting so, it out there. I'm psyched. So my other pick, I liked your pick. I I I am a fan of Tyler as well. Um, you know. I just want to give a mention to Bruce Kalman, who's one of the older contestants, and he's one of my favorite type of yeah. contestants, kind of like John Tisar from Dallas, where there's a guy who does not need to do this. You know, Bruce Kalman right. has a restaurant in Pasadena called Union that people go nuts for. He's established. Right. He has the reputation. He's fine. And yet there's something, there's some itch that he feels he has to scratch by by challenging himself or getting the national recognition or whatever and doing this. And it's as interesting as it is to watch the young chefs um, level up it's interesting to watch the older chefs 
run into a wall and get humbled because they're not used to doing this level of mise en place. They're not used to doing these things where they have to work with like kids cutting boards or in a truck or whatever. So I'm not counting Bruce out, but he's not my pick because I think that he may be too established in his ways to succeed on this level. So because of that, I feel, I can't believe I'm saying this, but Mustache Joe uh, <laughs> is coming on is coming on strong, and he does. Somebody's have... got to be the heel, right? Yeah, although he doesn't seem that unlikable. He's the only one who mentioned really heavily partaking in the legal substance in Colorado, not during the show, but back in college. You know, he seems oh, to. I, he seems to I'm get. I'm charmed it. by him. I, I I mentioned him as a heel because he's 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 an affect, right? That the whole thing man. is an affect with him, exactly. But but, but I also he's... think we agree that the real. Uh, dark horse to watch coming into tonight's and future is whoever comes out of Last Chance Kitchen tonight. We are in agreement about that. That's a, that's going to be an exciting reveal tonight. Absolutely. So let's leave Top Chef at, at that place right there. Now we promised the the our culinary comrades a few other places to look uh, across the dial, across the internet, across your however you may download and stream your choices of TV viewing related to the food world. Andy Greenwald, uh, I know you have a vast rotation (laughs) of shows going at at any given time. What one or two or three food shows are in your rotation at the moment? Let me begin by saying I'm a little hungry for better food content right now. I, Outstanding. I am not satisfied with what's out there right now, to be honest with you. And, and I think we touched on this last summer where I feel like the direction a lot of these programs are going in is way too high end, way too white tablecloth, if you will, um, which is why I'm just not a fan of uh, Chef's Table on Netflix, despite trying, yep. despite, yep. you know, working my way through some episodes. I, I, I adore watching them on mute. You know, I, I may, uh-huh. may, maybe with <laughs> may, maybe with a with a couple bottles of the wine we're going to talk about when we do that podcast because they're gorgeous, yeah. beautifully shot. They choose really smart people right. to showcase, but they're so starchy and they're so lifeless. You know, and then on the flip side of that is, and I think we're going to get into it, the stuff on Vice. And so, generally, my favorite food show for the last few years has been Chef's Night Out, which is the flagship program on Vice's Munchies uh, web channel, and. That's the one where they pick a, a chef or a sommelier or someone of import in the restaurant world in cities around the world. And then you, you meet them in their restaurant, see what they do. And then you go out with them and their pals for a night of very, very intoxicated eating. Uh, and then at the end, they return to their restaurant, cook for their friends, and that's a wrap. And I feel like in many ways that show is the most honest about what the lifestyle actually is for cooks. And you learn about the city. You see who you see the connections being made, who's friends with who, what it means. And you learn a lot about the culture, good and bad, behind the restaurants that we love. My only ding on it is that it's just not that frequent. You know, they do maybe they, – they dump them in seasons, so there'll be a new one. Every time I'll look, maybe there'll be one or two new ones, but it's not as consistent. And I would like more of it. And I, I know that other people are – obsessed with Action Bronson's shows and and Fuck That's Delicious, which I like as well, but that's almost too far in the other direction. So I'd love something in the sweet spot between Action Bronson and and, uh, Chef's Table. So I promise our taste buds that Andy and I, in exchanging notes in Mm -hmm. advance of of the run-up to today's pod, did not say anything to one another about what's currently compelling to us in terms of, of food shows. 
my entire I wrote out this whole listing of of the Viceland food shows. Yeah, I, I figured <laughs> because, because yeah, they're they're doing the right thing. Well, and and I love the diversity, not just of the characters um, who are real human beings, but the diversity of approach and what they they tackle with you know varying levels of of effectiveness. Like I love. Uh, Juan's world. I love Eddie Eddie Huang. Oh yeah, um, great. I, I I find the the cross culturalism of of his uh, you know he has that sensibility of of place. I'm in this place. Let me try and and understand what this sort of culture is about and how it informs and and reflects on my own kind of background and what I'm trying to achieve food wise. Mm-hmm. I've been I've been so thrilled to be introduced to Maddie Matheson. Like I didn't I didn't know. Um, I, I didn't really jump into uh, Dead Set on Life. Um, I kind of walked backwards into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I found it through It's Supper Time, which is running now. It's at 10.30 on Thursday nights um, up against t- Top Chef. So, but, you know, we don't – I don't watch TV, you know. It, there's no very little appointment television other than like Game of Thrones or something like that for me. So I'll watch It's Supper Time whenever I feel like it. And Viceland, to its credit, runs the, the things whenever. Yeah, it's, um, the it's, action, the fact that you ahead. can just the fact that the, the Viceland shows are essentially snackable and not full meals, right. I think, really is a, a plus. So in in that vein, perfect segue. The um, current uh, Action Bronson show, the Untitled Action Bronson show, yeah. which is basically like a late Viceland's late night entrant after uh, the the inimitable Days of Marrow. Um, which I, I I can't get enough of, but the Untitled Action Bronson show uh, is like you know twenty to twenty five minutes. It's like exactly the dose that I can handle at at the time right before I go to bed. If I am going to watch it, you know I'm happy to know that it's coming on possibly eleven thirty ish, and it's not it's it's it kind of around food. It's in the Munchies kitchen and there's cooking, but it's really like, you know, the raconteur uh, action Bronson and whoever's in there, um, you know, there's always the the, the um, force of his personality is, is so mm-hmm. infectious and, and so, um, you know, winning that the, the guests that come in there, they're from all walks of life. There are a lot of, you know, the, the most prominent people in entertainment, music and, and, and television. Uh, and and I could you know name names, but whatever. Just we'll go on and watch the show and see the people. You'll recognize the faces and the names. I find it very um, compelling. I just wish, and I feel like maybe it's just hard to articulate on a corporate level or on a media level. But I feel like there is a real sweet spot here between you know what we're talking about what we like on Top Chef in terms of the expertise and the personalities and the cultural heritage where they take it very seriously, and what Viceland does, which is party with it. You know, and I and I think there's also probably a different conversation to be had about Vice in general as their embrace of the partying lifestyle. I mean, that's where Mario Batali's most recent show was, and we don't even need right. to get into that. But I do think yeah. that there is a there is a there's a sweet spot between these things for people who, you know, want to have fun with food and celebrate it, but also want to have moments to see what people are technically doing and what it means, because we're curious about that too. You know, Netflix has a, a new show coming with Phil Rosenthal, who's the seems like a wonderful menchy guy who created Everybody yes. Loves Raymond. He had a food show called I'll Have What Phil's Having. Uh, right. He has a new show on Netflix, Somebody Feed Phil, where he's basically doing the Bourdain route and going around the world. This guy has great taste. He also, respect to him, I know you would do the same thing, Joe House. If you got that level of FU money, it would become FU that's yeah. delicious money, and you would just find right. someone to 
pay for you to just travel the world and eat food. Um, and I and I will like watching that. But again, I don't know if he's the host. You know, I, I wish there was something a little bit younger, a little bit, just something in between. And, you know, we all wish Food, food Network would get it together, but that ship has sailed. So I don't know where it's going to fall, but there's there's an opening here for for something, and hopefully it's around the corner. Um, last thing, I, did I mention it last summer, Samurai Gourmet? Did you go down this road? I you did mention Samurai Gourmet. I did go down it. <laughs> I it is it is such lovely television. It's the, so the, gentle. The, the, let me put it this way, and I I don't I'm not a person. I'm like too old now for it. I missed the the time when uh, marijuana would have been really meaningful to me. It just wasn't uh, yeah. part of my my growing up vibe. Um, it feels like. Smoking a joint and watching that show could be like the most enjoyable way to fade off into sleep each uh, night. I mean, you know. For, for those who missed the previous podcast or other times I've raved about it, this is a Netflix show. It is a Japanese show in Japanese about a 60-year-old recently retired man who wanders around his neighborhood and has existential crises over whether he should order a beer at lunch, whether he should uh, have a second helping of rice with mackerel at the beach, uh, whether he should slurp noodles at a fancy Italian restaurant, and for all of these major, major crises, he basically hallucinates a samurai solving the problem for him in a rough and tumble way. And it is, that's it. That's the show. I love it. I love the reverence yeah. with which it treats our everyday decisions about what we put into our body. It's really charming. The only thing I would add, there is an element of of uh, social awkwardness that is of a vein. It's nowhere near the level of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yes. But I, I do like when he hallucinate, hallucinates the samurai to help him solve the uh, the awkwardness <laughs> that he's feeling. Don't you wish we all could do that? I mean, that would just That's be... That's it. it. It's a little more comfortable to, to um, uh, have that fantasy moment as opposed to watching Larry David carry it through to its illogical conclusion. One, one other note I would make for people who are looking for food on television, I imagine many listeners have already checked this out for other reasons, but... Um, Aziz Ansari's show, Master of None, is one of the better food shows on television because it is very funny and it's culturally trenchant. And, you know, this past season was romantic, but really it's it's food porn. It is really yeah. a Trojan horse for Aziz and his buddy Alan Yang, who created the show with him, to um, and, uh, and Eric Wareheim, who co-stars in it, to basically go to Modena, Italy, and get Massimo Batura, one of the most famous and um, best chefs in the world, to cook for them privately. Like, all of it is basically to get into these restaurants and these kitchens and film there and, and show what life for New Yorkers of a certain age and a certain um, expense level are eating and enjoying. And, and it, even the episodes that I didn't love as TV shows, again, I, I'd put it on mute and just, and just respect the hustle. Yeah, well, look, that that's the true dream, right? To... Uh, Find some kind of vehicle by yes. which somebody else pays for for you it, to have not just the the entree, but but you know that level of of uh, interest and sophistication from the, the 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 chef. And you want exactly you want the soigné treatment that we see these celebrities yes. get or these chefs get. You yes. you want to get. I mean, you don't want to get hammered by a chef when they when they're so happy you're there. They try to kill you with food, but but you want to be seen because you you're gonna eat better. If the chef knows you're there, if they're sending out the secret little apps that you don't know about or that aren't on the menu, if you're getting the, the free pour of good wine, I mean, this is this is the goal. Um, well, that's and another— if, And if I could, you know, yeah. I would start a food podcast solely to get that treatment. And I'm not accusing you of anything, <laughs> but that's what I would do. 
Well, I just was going to say to you, uh, that is a goal for 2018 because it didn't really happen in 2017. I mean, I make, you know, no, nobody knows who the hell I am. I kind of prefer it that way. No, you're eating on the house this year. That's the new name of the podcast. <laughs> I love it. Andrew Greenwald, as always, thank you so much. Come back soon. We'll, we'll talk about some more of these episodes of Top Chef. We'll have a winner to talk about. And maybe between now and then, there'll be a couple more shows that arrive that we can sink our teeth into. I can't wait. Thank you. Thank you, my dude. Always, awesome. Always my favorite thing to talk about and my favorite person to talk about it with. <laughs> <laughs> so kind, so kind. Thank you. Stay I'll, send, I'll send you a bottle of that wine next week. As always, big thanks to Andy Greenwald. We could have that dude on every single week to talk about every single outstanding food television show, but we like giving him out in small doses. Speaking of small doses, my taste buds, House of Carbs, is brought to you today by the new Netflix original documentary series, Somebody Feed Phil, as just mentioned by our own Andy Greenwald, who is looking forward to this documentary series, As Am I. Check this out on Netflix. Following recent James Beard award-winning producer and the creator of the critically acclaimed series Everybody Loves Raymond, Phil Rosenthal, this is a craving-inducing food and travel show and a joyous ride through cuisines all around the globe. For Phil, the best way to travel is to eat your way through each city and never miss dessert. Oh, this is very relatable, Phil. From a family meal in a riverside hut to a hilarious encounter with a Buddhist monk in Thailand, from bowl of noodles to a bakery in the ancient port city of Jaffa that puts bread before politics. Join Phil this Friday. That's this coming Friday, January the 12th as he chows down and makes friends all over the world. He's headed to Saigon, Lisbon, Bangkok, Tel Aviv, Mexico City, and New Orleans. Though each culture is unique, Phil finds that delight comes in many forms. I'm telling you, Phil and I get along here. Food is really our great connector, and laughter needs no translation. Somebody Feed Phil streams on Netflix this Friday, January the 12th. I encourage you to watch it because I will. All right, hungry homies, taste buds, culinary comrades. We have reached that moment in the show where it is now time for Food News. Joined now by the host of the number one podcast and TV and film, Bachelorette Party. Bachelor party. Come on, house. It's bachelor party. <laughs> it's bachelor party. I'm, I knew I was going to botch it. No, let's just, Hi, keep, go- let's just keep going. <laughs> we are going. Okay, Hi, great. Juliet. Hi, house. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. How are uh, you? Uh, you know, I'm great. I'm doing really well. You know what? You you are great. I saw via Instagram, via the gram, the gram. As, it, as, as the kids call it, mm-hmm. you spent New Year's in, in absolutely the most delightful way possible. <laughs> Seriously, I did. Um, thanks to my good friend, Mike, from college, who we met in our first hour of college. He let me stay in his home on the beach in Malibu and like literally on on the beach, like not not 10 yards away, like you walk out um, the stairs and you're on the beach. And I was there for five days and it was so amazing. I just have so many new goals that are related to making tons of money so I can buy a beach house. 
So your friend Mike is rich. Yes. Yes. So, should we guess his last name? Is he no. a famous Mike? Is he no. one of the famous Mikes? Mm, he's famous. Is he Michael Jordan? He's famous to me. He's not Michael Jordan, no. But he's fam- okay. famous to me. And okay. um, it was just the best. I had such a good time. And I love I loved the ocean. That's all I can say. I, I jumped in the water on, on New Year's morning on January 1st. I did a, a plunge into the Pacific. It's exactly what you're supposed to do. Yeah. That's exactly how you're supposed to bring in the new year. Yeah, exactly. Giving, you know, homage to Mother Earth. Yeah, it was great. And I also, I had really good Thai food from Cholada Thai. Um, so you knew where I was going with this. Yes. I, had, I want to hear about the food. Yeah. So it wasn't that exciting because I refused to leave the house. Like I, I only left like for a couple hours at most per day. <laughs> and I made everyone come to me. Like I had a bunch of friends come over and... um but there's a really good, like, just kind of like roadside Thai place called Cholada Thai that my friend Steph and I ordered in from via Postmates. And I had amazing pad CU. We also got, like, just, like, some great, like, kind of like a poo-poo platter, but that's not what you call it from Ooh. Thai food. But it was just, right. it was so good. It was delicious. Shout out to Demore's Pizza for delivering quite late. Called, like, 10 nice. minutes to go, and they still delivered even even though it was really late. Um you know, one thing I feel like websites should advertise is like what time you close and what time your delivery ends. Because like this place closed at midnight and I closed like called like 1140 to get a pizza. Right. Yeah. And they did it. But it was kind of like I know it was like a discussion. Like I, I wasn't they were probably like, eh, should we do it? And they ended up doing it. So I appreciate it. But it it's wasn't cool like wasn't like a definite. Um, I want to tell I you, about, you tell you about something they have at a at Chill Out Thai, which is called it's an item called. Golden bags. <laughs> oh, do tell. <laughs> and it's like a, it's an appetizer and it has like ground up meat inside. And um, I, I don't even know exactly what it is. I'm going to consult the menu so I can read it to you verbatim. But I was like, this is fascinating. C- golden bags, crispy wonton filled with ground chicken and shrimp served with a sweet sauce. And it's delicious. It's like one of their signature items. I just take issue with the name Golden Bags. I, I don't I don't know if that's a good name for a food item. Well, it is uh, a pretty straightforward, you know, um, uh, f- food item. You know, it's it's a a, a crispy wonton, sure. f- you know, filled. I thought it was going to be in kind of a dumpling thing. And I thought when you say bags, that makes me think of something perhaps more delicate. No, perhaps it, more. It was like a crab you know, with, rangoon with, with, uh, kind of thing. Okay, well, that I wouldn't think of a of a bag that way. <laughs> I agree with you. In, in I would uh, most of the time pause when the idea of putting golden bags in my mouth, uh, you know, <laughs> was kind of presented to me. The one thing that I always and this is uh, going to probably sound culturally insensitive, so I'm sorry for it. But if it's at an Asian restaurant, sometimes I wonder if it's a translation thing. Um, you know, like like there is this dish uh, at a at a Chinese food restaurant um, in uh, New York City. Uh, we've, I think, uh, you and I have not eaten at this restaurant together. I've eaten at this restaurant with Katie Baker, though, um, where they serve a dish that's like red ants on a hill or ants, fire ants on the hill, or something like that. And it, it has to do with the ingredients, but also has to do with like the translation, um, which because you wouldn't think about any having. A food item with the idea of ants having – you're just not interested in that. No. I'm not at least. No, me neither. But it's delicious. Yeah. I agree. Um, can I tell you about one more food item? Please do. I went to Dizengoff Hummus in New York. 
Yeah, it was awesome. so fucking good. I loved it. I dragged my brother and my dad to the Chelsea Market where they have it. Thanks to everyone who let me know on social media. And man, did I love it! I had such a, such a delicious meal. We got like what like the chicken hummus bowl. Um, we got yeah. a schnitzel sandwich. We it was just so phenomenal. And I have to say, I ha- Chelsea Market is usually like mobbed and really crowded and therefore unpleasant. But it wasn't on this day, two days before Christmas. So it was like so delightful to sit at the counter there and. I just completely loved it. Like, I, 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 I don't know. I loved it. Got to have more of the Michael you, Salamanov uh, empire, I guess. I know. But the thing is, like, you don't—one does not. At least I, I, I'll, I'll put this in terms of me. I'm not the kind of person that would say, I'm going to get up out of my chair. I need to go to this hummus place, right? It's like— Well, I, 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 like I do. Hum- I am like that. <laughs> I love hummus. I enjoy it quite a bit. I mean, my refrigerator is, is stacked and stocked. But— um, I'm not like I want to physically go to brick and mortar and sit down and and, and have it that way. This the Disney golf experience is changing that calculus. Yeah, it it's was changed the calculus there. It was it was just really really phenomenal. I had a, I had a I'm great so time. happy. Yeah, I also that's, that's I love what House schnitzel. of Carbs is all about. I love schnitzel, so that was great to have a schnitzel sandwich. Of course. I also had one of the best black and white cookies I've ever had in New York from Davidovich Bakery, which was like a few stalls over from Dizengoff. Just a, just incredible black and white cookie. It was fresh. It didn't feel like the frosting had been sitting around for a long time. It was a really dense, cakey cookie. It was just really good. So this is the thing. This is now what I would say is like the fourth visit to a centralized location. And you and I quibbled about what it should be called, whether it's a market, whether it's a, a food a, hall. Know, a food hall in, in in Philly. It was the Reading Terminal. Um, this is the fourth one. So so you and I did the DTLA Grand Central Market, yes, right? Yes, we did. Um, Chris and I went to to Reading uh, Terminal. I'm sure I'm by Reading Market Terminal. Uh, you at the the, the Chelsea um, joint. And what, which one am I am I leaving out? You are oh, the DeKalb uh, Market. Yeah, DeKalb, DeKalb Market, Market in, in 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 Brooklyn. That one's called DeKalb uh, Market Hall, which is just really ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, they, they could leave it at market. I'm going to keep it at just to cow market. That's enough. Yeah, it's fine. Um, but but the, 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 these places are putting out some, and, and some of them have historical footprints. So they people know that they've been putting out great food for a long time, but some are sort of recent vintage. Brooklyn is kind of yeah. recent vintage, and it sounds like Chelsea is stepping up its game. Yeah, the, Chel- the Chelsea one's been around for a while, but like Dizengoff is new. And as that area has changed, like it used, you know, it used to be on the edge of meatpacking, which was like hip and like, and like a little bit like rough around the edges, but now is like no longer hip and certainly not rough around the edges. Right. Um, the Chelsea market has gotten like more upscale. Like there's like an anthropology in there. And it's also like above it is like office space for like Food Network. It has their office basically. So that, oh. one's, not, that one's not new, but Dizengoff I think is new. And um, I, it's like a good, it was just a, my brother, my dad and I spent like three hours in in the market. It was really good. Um, that That's what the holidays are for. Yeah. So perfect. Can I tell you about one more meal I had in New York? I'm very interested. It was at a restaurant called Pecora Bianca. And um, I had my, I, I realized like I really honed in on my favorite kinds of foods over my Christmas break and it's dips and desserts. Like I just want things that I can dip into followed by a really solid dessert. So that's one of the reasons I love Dizengoff. And I like just love the hummus and the pita with all of the juices from the chicken. It was so good. And then at Pecora Bianca, I made my mom and brother and grandma have this focaccia that came with an incredible, incredible fresh ricotta. And I, I think, mm. I, I just don't even know. I, I love fresh ricotta so much. It was incredible. 
And then it also had a carbonara cauliflower. And oh my gosh. it was so good. I just was like, my mom just like chose this restaurant. It was didn't have any expectations. It was delicious. So I get these two great apps, and I like apps more than a main event, main course. So I was really happy. And then we get to dessert, and we ordered an olive oil, an olive oil pound cake. And it was like the be- one of the best desserts I've ever had, full stop. It was so good. And I just, I just freaking loved it. I wanted to tell you about it. Because- I'm so happy about that. <laughs> Where is it? There's two locations. Um, this one that I went to was near my grandma's house on 50th and 2nd. And okay. the other one is in like the Gramercy area, I think on like 26th and Broadway. And it's clearly Italian. Um, but is it is there a regional Italian or an Italy region that they emphasize? Um, great question. I have no idea. <laughs> That's fine. I, I, I wasn't trying to put you on the spot. I just want to make sure that we give it, you know, sure. full uh, full love. So I, I I feel like this is, we, we, we've been together for six months on House of Carbs. Yeah. And it feels like, you you know, you finding, I, I'm not going to attribute, uh, I'm not going to take um, uh, credit for ha- helping you identify this about your palate, this dips and desserts thing. Dips and desserts. But, I- yeah. I think it is important for our for all our food friends to hear that that's that's where your emphasis is. That's yes. a that's a lovely, you know, it, it helps everybody understand when we have these uh Thanksgiving uh, you know, brackets and the and the candies <laughs> and everything. Dips and desserts is where Juliet's coming from, y'all. Exactly. Dips and desserts. Hummus, fresh ricotta, I love a good like French onion dip. Um, I love it. Tzatziki. I love it all. It makes sense, and that's how mashed potatoes make so much sense. Yeah, your your relationship with mashed potatoes makes sense in that context. <laughs> House, thanks for helping me learn about myself. Like, I don't know where I'd be without you. <laughs> I didn't want to take credit for it, but I just want to make sure that the hungry homies, our culinary comrades out there, know where you're coming from. Dips and desserts, and like, I love a high end dessert, but I really love a low end dessert. Like, send me a devil dog. Give me a hostess cupcake. Oh, I'm happy. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's the. Uh, one of the trends that I like at that's out there right now is um, folks trying to tackle those old school conventional, you know, desserts in a box and, and trying to present them in kind of a new, fresh 21st century way. I, I actually think that's not a bad idea. I agree. I agree. Um, so is there any news? Let's talk about some news. Oh, is there news? Yeah, there was a st- <laughs> we have two stories that I think you're going to be particularly excited about. And um, let's just get into it. The first okay. the first one, this story you alerted to me this story. And it's about a pregnant woman who gave birth at a grocery store in Fresno, California. And here's a story via the Washington Post. A pregnant woman walked into a grocery store in Meat Market in Fresno, California. I'm very glad that they uh, made it clear that was also a meat market. <laughs> um, she's a regular customer, and she made her way to the soda fountain. As ice was falling into her cup, she started screaming. She screamed, oh, my God, I think I'm having a baby. <laughs> and then, <laughs> seconds later, she had a baby. The cashier called 911 but was put on hold, so the cook called 911 and also put on hold. The butcher called 911 and was also put on hold. House. What is wrong with the Fresno 911 dispatcher? They're putting everyone on hold. What if they've got a real emergency? What is this? There were a lot of emergencies. This is the day after Christmas, right? Yes. Very alarming. Apparently, there was a lot of emergencies in Fresno that day. (laughs) All of us were like, what is happening? That's a quote from the owner, Isamar Sepulveda. And then they all got down on the floor with the pregnant woman. The butcher 
Albert Alberto Casillas took off his burgundy apron and caught the baby. Sepulveda looked down and saw something that scared her. The umbilical cord was wrapped around the baby's neck, so she yelled for someone to throw her a pair of scissors. This is the owner again. I thought, what if the baby dies right here because I'm not doing this right? Sepulveda then cut the cord from the baby's neck. Casillas wrapped the newborn in his apron, and everything seemed to be all right. They cleaned the baby with napkins. <laughs> then, as, as you do, what else are you going to clean the baby with? <laughs> then three ambulances showed up, and Sepulveda grabbed her phone. After 25 minutes of chaos, she did what many would do, and she went live from Facebook. <laughs> Sepulveda said she went to visit the woman and the baby at the hospital. The baby boy, Toby, weighs just about eight pounds. The baby is doing good. The mom is doing good. And uh, to quote <laughs> to quote another member of the story, it was insane. So, yes, this is indeed an insane story. A couple of things I want to point out to you. We know the name of the baby, but we do not necessarily know the name of the mom, as far as I could tell. Uh I think that is cr- maybe that was deliberate. I mean, it could be that she didn't want, you know. Sure. Although, although maybe she, if, if she's on the in the Facebook Live, and it seems like there's a good possibility that she's in the Facebook Live, she's already out there in, in on the viral internet. It's really wild. And then you could still watch this video on Facebook Live, like the Washington Post le- links to a video, so it's it's out there. Uh, this whole thing is really like just a a, t- a total a nutty situation. I'm just so concerned about the resources going into the paramedics in Fresno. Like, do we need to have a bake sale to get them more money to add another shift? Like, what's this What's this hold business? If I get shot and I'm in Fresno and I call 911, I better not be put on hold. Well, you, maybe the right thing to do is to not go to Fresno. I guess. Just, just avoid it. You can't risk that that you're, that that somebody would, would be on hold calling with your emergency. Have you been to the Central Valley in California? I have not. It's where Fresno. I don't know the Central Valley. It's where Fresno is. It's okay. I don't see you going there anytime soon. It's fine. It's where Paul George is from, or he went to Fresno State, oh, okay. where he went to college. Sorry. Okay. All right. I mean, it's uh, reasonable. Yeah. Great. Okay. So this is a Christmas miracle. Yeah, I'm just really happy the mom and the baby are okay. I do think the two things about this that um, caught my eye. Um, if it's a, if it really is truly a grocery store, they couldn't do better than napkins for cleaning the baby. Like the, right. if you're a grocery store, that means you have paper towels, you have cloths. You, I mean, there ought to be baby wipes, that feels, perhaps. Feels <laughs> like literally, literally baby yes. wipes yes. at the grocery store. <laughs> it seems more light, more you know, uh, appropriate than, than napkins. I mean, I know that that the baby dropped by the butcher. And that, that, you know, over by the butcher, maybe all you have is napkins and meat wrapping paper. Someone could run really... the aisles, though. It seems like it. And while you're waiting on, to get through on 911, yeah, you would have a couple minutes to go down the aisle, it seems like. Next time you're at the checkout counter and you hear the baby scream, think of all the fun you could be having on supermarket sweep. Something like that, you know? Just go, <laughs> go get the items. I love it. Go get the items. <laughs> this is great. Guy, get Guy Fieri on this one. Yeah. Um, the other, the other thing that that uh, just is is a curiosity, and it'll be a perpetual curiosity. She was surprised by having the baby as she enjoyed a delicious soda. Yeah, that's weird. I don't understand enough about the um, mother nature aspect of this, and mm-hmm. and you know the female experience to I, have. Any I have kind not of had a child. I don't. I don't have a child yet, so I, I can't. Um, really speak to this. I do think it's a little weird to just have the baby all of a sudden. Like, presumably you would feel contractions, and I've heard those are very painful. Uh, I've but, heard that too. But I, I don't know. My wife told me. Yes. I, I just don't. When she had our son. 
<laughs> I just don't know. It definitely seems weird. I am of my many mom friends. None of them like suddenly had the baby. Like it, it, it took a couple hours. At least, at least one. Well, I'm gonna be. I, I, I don't want to be culturally insensitive Same. twice. So we don't know anything about the woman's background or anything like what circumstances she was in. Um, we'll just take it at face value. She was surprised by having the baby, and thank God the butcher was there. Thank God the butcher was there. What a great way to end that one. Um, Okay, I have another story that I want to share with you via our producer, Kyle. And we haven't discussed this, but I think you're going to be excited about it. Okay. It's also related to the Washington Post. Oh. This is from WRAL News, which is, I think, local North Carolina news. So, House. First of all, I see on this North Carolina website, it's 30 degrees in North Carolina. How awful. Um, <laughs> they're not built for that down there. I'll tell you that much. No, they're definitely not. Do they even have heat down Ask there? Tate. Do they have heat? Ask Tate. LA, I doubt it. LA doesn't have heat. Like places that don't usually get that cold, people are like, eh, we don't need it. And then you're freezing. Okay. It happens to me every morning in my apartment when it's like 48 degrees. Okay. Anyway, U.S. Senator Tom Tillis of North Carolina has called out the Washington Post. The Republican lawmaker has thrown down the gauntlet over Bojangles' biscuits. Tillis took to Twitter recently to take umbrage over a recent review by The Post over the best biscuits served by fast food restaurants. According to The Post, it conducted a blind taste test of six local fast food chains, and the taste testers concluded that McDonald's served the best baked biscuit. Bojangles came in fifth next to last, while Burger King's biscuits were deemed the least favorite. Of Bojangles, the paper said, very salty, not very flaky, meh, not a good biscuit. Senator Tillis responded, with all due respect to the Washington Post, their food tasters need to get their taste buds checked out. Bojangles makes the best fast food biscuits, period. So Senator Tillis and I, I don't know what his political um, orientation is, but I'll tell you one thing. He and I are coming from the same place (laughs) in this great world of ours when it comes to the best fast food biscuits. (laughs) First of all... I didn't know that Burger King made biscuits, so it's appropriate to me that they're last. Okay. I, I don't – is that a breakfast? Do They must do it for breakfast. Yeah, it's a breakfast I, thing. I can't tell you the last time in my life I had Burger King breakfast. Have you had Burger King breakfast No, anytime? I never have. And if I if I do have a – I, I want you to know my, my fast food breakfast of choice is the McDonald's Big Breakfast. Oh, I love the McDonald's yeah, Big Breakfast. Of I also you go get to some, McDonald's. You get all of it. Yeah, I, I had a big phase. Me and Chris Ryan, we used to go to the McDonald's drive-thru and I would get the – um. Like the egg white sandwich, it was very good. Low calorie, so good, so good. Yeah, I love I love a straightforward egg McMuffin. That that I'll I'll do that eleven times out of ten. It's sure. perfectly fine. Uh, maybe I'll throw a sausage in there every once in a while. Sausage McMuffin with uh with with egg and cheese. Sure, I'll do that. But um, here's the thing that I don't ever get ever never ever do I f with when I go to McDonald's for breakfast, and that's the biscuit items because I don't like them. The, the the other forms of carbs at McDonald's are perfectly satisfactory for delivering the combination of breakfast protein and breakfast uh, uh, c- c- carbs, whether it's um, the hash browns, whether it's the pancakes that come with the big breakfast, or it's a, the beautiful uh, McMuffin that they've they've perfected. I don't mess with the stupid biscuits at McDonald's. Because it's just not, uh, you know, the, the the thing to get. The thing I get every single time I go to Bojangles alongside the beautiful fried chicken are the absolutely perfect biscuits that they make from scratch every single mother effing day. So Senator Tillis, 
you and I are coming from the same place. You you agree at least on biscuits. We don't we don't know we agree on anything else, but certainly on that. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Have you? When's the last time? You, I don't. Again, I'm going to put you on the spot. Have you had Bojangles no. in recent memory? I am a yeah, straight so up. We got to change. That. I'm a straight up northerner. I'm, I've become very, yeah. very aware of it in like the last year. I'm a northerner from like the coast. Like I'm not even just from like Ohio. I'm from New York City, and I spend all my yeah. time on the coasts. So I'm like really out of touch. Well, we're well, we're going to at least get you a little Bojangles okay. to help broaden that 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 palette. We need to introduce you to the South. Yeah, I would love to. I happen to love the South. There's like many things that I know I like about the South, including the weather. So yeah. uh, I know I got to try it. I've just I've just never had it. Okay, well we'll we'll change that. Okay. 2018 goals. Yes, absolutely. 2018 goals. Get us to Toronto, to Montreal, or Toronto. We want to go to Toronto. Toronto. Get Toronto. Us, get Toronto. us to Toronto and get me to the South. Yeah. Even like Virginia. We'll go down. We'll. Well, sure. We'll get um, Tate. Tate needs to come back out here. He was just here, but we'll we'll go down. We'll get Micah and Tate, and we'll go have some Bojangles. That sounds great. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Um, one more story. We can't get through a house of cards without going across the pond. It just seems like it always happens. Um, but here we go. This is a story from the BBC, the venerated BBC, and it's about a chef who claimed that she spiked a vegan. Laura Goodman, co-owner and head chef at Carlini in Shropshire, faced a backlash over her comments on Facebook about a pious, judgmental vegan. I can just tell Laura Goodman is a woman of cut from the same cloth. Her, her, <laughs> her fiancé and business partner, Michael Gale, said she had received death threats. Mr. Gale told BBC she recognizes she needs some time away from the business to clear her head and think about what happened. A spokesperson from the restaurant in Albrighton, Shropshire, said, Laura Goodman has today tatted her resignation from Carlini and the board of directors are currently considering their options. Miss Goodman made the comments in a Facebook group called The Boring Group in the early hours of Saturday. The posts have since been removed, but what she did right was that she had spiked a vegan a few hours ago and people responded to her comments describing them as spiteful, mean, terrible, and disgusting. It's not funny. As a as a result, there has been a surge in negative reviews of Carlini on Google, and Mr. Gale said his fiance would take some time off and consider her options. Uh, he previously said that spiked had been poorly chosen language, and that Mrs. Goodman had not fully realized the consequence of what it meant. Um, the couple totally understood the anger that it caused, but pointed out that no meat was used in any of the dishes. <laughs> he explained that his fiance's posts were were saying that she had designed a special vegan menu for a party of diners one of whom then ordered a pizza containing cheese. Aha! Uh, the couple have another restaurant in Schiffnell, Shropshire, and both have been closed but will open later this week. I just want to say the Europeans and the English love to take a good long vacation, so I'm not sure we can attribute the closing to this this drama. But um, it was very hard to figure out exactly what she did, but we figured it out. She served cheese to a vegan, which I don't, I don't know... Should that be illegal? Like, that's kind of crazy. It makes me think, of course, of Seinfeld when uh, George tricks the um, kosher woman that Jerry's dating into having lobster after she reports him <laughs> um, not accounting for his shrinkage, of course. And yes. um, this is a food crime. And how do we adjudicate food crimes? I don't know. I'm so baffled by so much of this. <laughs> but the one thing that leaps out at me is spiking a vegan is is, is it's pretty brilliant. 
I mean, I don't know how she chose that, and and I'm not familiar. If maybe that is the way that that people talk about serving food that um, hasn't been ordered, or you know, slipping in ingredients that are unexpected or unwelcome. Um, it maybe that's the idea behind spiking. I have no idea if that's a chef thing, but um, in this particular instance, this particular turn of phrase is very compelling to me. I I, think I, it's, I it's, really it's, like it. I also yeah. just want you to know that. This story like really took off. I read, I read it from the BBC. There's articles about it in the Guardian and the Telegraph. Like it was a big, it was a big story. <laughs> well, I don't understand what happened. Maybe um, from the other reading, sure. The the, the, the group who Here's, who ate the, the vegan menu then ordered a pizza. Did they order the pizza from her? So this is what happened. Yes, she was she cooked. She's the head chef at this restaurant. And this is from The Guardian. A group of diners had booked a table on Friday evening. And in the early hours of Saturday, Goodman posted pious, judgmental vegan who I spent all day cooking for has gone to bed still believing she's a vegan. When asked by another member of the Facebook group whether that that meant she had done anything to make the meal non-vegan on purpose, she replied, actually, I should have said they're not a vegan. I said they're not a vegan, not she's. So I guess she's trying to like hide the identity. And then elsewhere in the group on a separate post, she wrote, spiked a vegan a few hours ago. <laughs> so <laughs> this whole thing is completely, completely wild. And um, she did clarify in her statement, no meat products were added to the dishes. And all of these local vegans then got furious. Local vegans from the Telford Vegan Action Group planned to pick the restaurant on Saturday Organizer Hope Lai told The Guardian the resignation would not put up, put them off their protest, and it was difficult to see how Goodman would no longer be involved. Uh, they're coming for, for, pardon the pun, for blood. Well, I, I'm, I'm really confused. It seems like there's some culpability among this dining group. How did they order a pizza at the end of the meal and not have a discussion with the chef or somebody, some liaison to the chef, <laughs> Around what the cheese was going to consist of, because if you're you're insistent on having uh, vegan, pure vegan experience, and that's an important lifestyle choice that that you've made, and then at the end of a big meal you say, "I want a pizza now," then I think you have to self uh, uh, um, investigate. You can't just leave it to to, to chance because. In the first place, it wasn't part of the original menu. It wasn't part of the original offering. It sounds like it was a spontaneous, we've been eating and drinking, more drinking than eating perhaps, and now we're ready for a pizza moment. And we we, we uh, insist that this also be a, a vegan pizza, the spontaneous pizza. I think that's kind of bullshit. Here's here's my thing about, about vegans. I respect it. I heard it's really good for you and you feel better. Go for it. But don't expect to, to eat outside of your own home. Like, then you got to have all your meals at home if you're so worried about it being vegan. Well, I, that's, that's <laughs> I think, that's taking it to, you and I are coming from it on the same place, but I think if you are vegan, then it's crucial you investigate the ingredients ac- across everything. It, what that means, if you, if you um, are really dedicated to the vegan lifestyle, what it really means is you're committed to understanding um, the ingredients of everything that you consume, and it doesn't. Sa- it, it it seems pretty clear that you can't leave it to chance for for anything. It's, it's true. It is the way that we proceed with my child who has food allergies. Like I don't order something like French fries or a hamburger at a restaurant and assume 
that the French fries are, you know, cooked in canola oil, I ask what the oil is, what oil these are prepared in. Right. Um, and, you know, the same thing is true if the hamburger uh, is cooked in the same places where eggs get cooked, then he can't have the hamburger from there. And this is, you know, it's part of our, uh, you know, regular way walk of life when we go out to eat. Right. And I, I don't mean to be insensitive, I, of course, but I just, you know, it's tricky. It's it's like you said, you have to you have to have some responsibility for it yourself. And it, it really does deprive one of spontaneity. Yeah, you can't sucks. just say whip whip this up for me, right? Because the bummer. chances are they're they're they're, they're not going to have vegan cheese in there. They don't have the Daya sitting in the kitchen. That's um, the brand. Yes, that of, makes course. The vegan cheese. of course. Of yeah. course. Um, let me just tell you, I've gone to the Carlini um, TripAdvisor page, and first of all. Here's the, there's a notice at the top in red. I've never seen this before. And I actually use TripAdvisor, not an insignificant amount. And I've never seen this. Message from TripAdvisor. Due to a recent event that has attracted media attention and has caused an influx of review submissions that do not describe a firsthand experience, we have temporarily suspended publishing new reviews for this listing. If you've had a firsthand experience with this property, please check back soon. We're looking forward to receiving your review. Yeah, Woof. Chip Advisor. Rules Woof. is rules. Don't be po- coming on here. This ain't your chat room. Um, this ain't Facebook. Exactly. This is a, this is for people who are traveling, for non-vegans who are traveling. And then let me just go on to say, Carlini has excellent reviews. It's <laughs> has 121 reviews and has four and a half stars, which is good, which is really good. It's gotten 69% five, 22% four. And uh, this, the headlines on these on these reviews are another good meal, amazing food and service, amazing food, hearty feel, enjoyable night out, an excellent Sunday lunch, girls' night out, and enjoying an evening meal. So well, it's pretty apparent that it's not a vegan only restaurant. Yes. that they serve other types of foods there, and they clearly serve meat in the, in this restaurant. Yes, one hundred percent. They went out of their way to accommodate a special request for a special group, which is to their credit. Uh, and then there was a violation at the end based on. You know this the spontaneity and the lack of diligence by the by the party the offending party is what I would say. Yeah, yeah. This is this is quite the, quite the scandal. I'm excited to see how this this turns out. Not excited, and I'm sorry for the vegan who got spiked. That's terrible. And I will say, if you don't have cheese for a long time, and then you um, have cheese again, I would I would say uh, you probably are going to feel very sick. So hopefully she was okay. I hope that she didn't feel sick. What I thought you were going to end with is you can't believe how effing delicious real cheese oh, is. Oh, yeah. Well, there's that, too. I do love cheese. <laughs> cheese is part <laughs> so of the dips, the dips and desserts uh, uh, um, concept. I love a good pub cheese. A good pub cheese, of course. You know? Oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> On that note. House. I think we've done it. Thanks for having me. Happy New Year, Juliet. I can't New wait for Year. 2018. We're going to have some great dips eating. and desserts. Me- I'm excited. Talk to you soon. Congratulations on the bachelor party. Thank you. Please subscribe. There we go, Hungry Homies. Thank you so much for rejoining us here in 2018 on House of Cars. We have an awesome year coming up, so please keep listening. You're going to have to be a little bit on your toes in terms of finding us during the week. Our Published date is moving to more midweek, and I think that's quite appropriate. I hope we land on hump day because I want to help all you hungry homies, all you taste buds, get over the midweek hump with some delicious and delightful food talk as you anticipate your weekend. So look for us hopefully on hump days. Wednesdays will be our new publication date, I believe, in 2018. In the meantime, everybody – 
Let's stay hungry out there. <laughs>